0: Um, Anytime. I'm caught you in the middle of lunch. I apologize. I know you're probably a busy man.
1: I haven't eaten anything. I just came back from Miami. I've been on like four conference calls the last hour. I took one bite of this, um, red con that Aaron Singerman sent me. Yeah. Trying To get a little bit of protein, but once I finish this bite, I'm all yours.
0: <laughs> um, I, uh, I watch you guys every day on TV. So this is pretty cool. I, um, I'm fascinated by people in your position. So, um, I appreciate you, uh, taking the time. I, I was probably going to ask you this.
1: Fresco, you were going to probably ask me this. Comment. I was
0: going to ask you this after we started, but I probably should ask you before. Can I just quickly, why did you decide to say yes to the interview? Just out of pure curiosity
1: um you seem genuine you seem real i mean i i I respect that i have a lot of respect for that and um a lot of people on the bodybuilding side reach out to us about doing stuff and we've not done everyone the industry is filled a little bit too much with arrogance and i'm not turned on by that Mm -hmm. i like humility and you seem very humble you seem like a guy that's you know, here's a guy. You're probably, you know, shoulder pressing. I don't know three plates. You're setting shoulder pressing <laughs> three plates, and yeah, you know, and you're, you know, wanting. You're a fan. You want to talk about it, and I'm supportive of that. So, well,
0: I appreciate it your much. approach
1: was more than anything else.
0: I appreciate that very much. Um, I'll just wait for you. I guess you can let me know when you're ready, and then we'll just get started.
1: I'm ready whenever you are. I'm good now.
0: All right. Uh, I'm just gonna announce the show, and then we'll get going. Welcome, everybody, to The Real Bodybuilding Podcast. This is episode number 104, and I'm here with a very, very special guest, uh, Mr. Patrick Bett-David. How are you, sir? I'm good. It's
1: good to be on with you.
0: I I was telling you before we started, I watch your show on TV every day. I mean, obviously on the internet, but I watch your guys' podcast every day, and um, it's very informative and it's very surreal for me to have you on the show, so thank you very much for that. Anytime. Um, I wanted to get into who you are. I just, I want to know who you are a little bit more because you kind of just popped up into my life. I saw you interview Dorian Yates and I was like, wow, who is this guy? And then you interviewed, I think Sean Ray and, and a couple other bodybuilding people after that. And then I started watching some of your other stuff, your financial stuff. And then I know you interviewed some mob bosses and things like that. And I was like, this is really, you're very fascinating to me. And the more I watched, the more fascinated I became at how you manage to do all the things you do. But I want to get into kind of where you came from first. So, where, what is, who is the young Patrick Bed David?
1: Born and raised in Iran. I uh, was born uh, October 1878, which is the peak of the revolution in Iran. Uh, Lived there 10 years, went through the whole thing with the war in the 80s, uh, escaped at 10 years old, went to Germany at a refugee camp lived there for a couple of years. And I came to the States, Glendale, California, six years. And then I joined the army. And when I went into the army, my, my barracks was literally pictures filled with, let me see if I remember these names. Obviously the, the Kevin Lavrone, the, the Dorians, the Aaron Bakers, the Cormieres, the Matarazos, the, you know, the Platts, all those guys, right? The, the Arnold's, the Ronnie's, all those guys were there. I had Amy uh, is it Amy Fadali Amy F- I don't even know if I'm saying the name Amy right
0: Fa- Amy Fadley
1: Amy Fadley I had Angel did, Tevis
0: did you have a I crush had, did you have a crush on her like everybody else
1: I just had a crush on all these beautiful <laughs> girls from Muscle Magazine or Flex or all of that Yeah My life was bodybuilding I wanted to be a bodybuilder and uh, I got out I started hanging out with some of these guys at Century Club at LA went to a couple of Mr Olympia shows and at one of the Mr. Olympia shows, I went in to kind of uh, get the math behind it. I'm a numbers guy. And being 6'5", is not, uh, uh, if you want to win Mr. Olympia, 6'5", is a little too tall today to compete. And uh, met a girl you know, who was working at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. I just said bodybuilding is gone. I'm going straight into uh, business and financial services. Day before 9-11, I started working at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter, and the rest is history.
0: Wow! So you just sk- skipped over a whole bunch really quickly. So let's go. Let's go all the way back. Well, let's still, let's start at the beginning of the bodybuilding. What what was the fascination with the the bodybuilders that you named? What was the initial thought?
1: Um, I mean, it's you know, you you watch these movies and the heroes, right? What do what do heroes look like? What do they draw? Like? It's like these godlike figures where you you know they God etched their bodies and took some, you know, clay and put it into this Hercules, you know, a of a physique. And you're looking at the details of the body, the strength, what it looks like when clothes are worn by bodybuilders and the shoulder and the shape, there's an element of art to it. You know, it's a, it's a element of art. And that was very attractive to me, but also at the same time, as a kid, Living in Germany, 10 or 12, I was around a bunch of different people from Yugoslavia who escaped communism, Albanian, you know, and you're being pushed around, and you're the youngest uh, sibling, and your sister six years older than you, and to be able to defend yourself amongst the guys that are around her who are six years old, you got to be kind of strong and tough, and I had to figure out a way how to push my weight around, and uh, instead of being bullied, I said, let me kind of lift some weight so at least I can... Go defend myself. And there was an element of that as well at a young age. Uh,
0: in your book, you talk about insecurities uh, growing up um, with the language. And you also talk about war in Iran. Do you think those insecure, any of those insecurities led to part of the bodybuilding
1: fascination? There's no question about it. It was uh, I was, uh, this, this may be offensive right now, but it's what people call me. I was called a Somalian. Uh, in seventh, eighth grade, because Somalians were very skinny. Mm-hmm. So I was 6'1", 130 pounds. That's a that's wow. a pretty skinny guy right. right there. 6'1", 130 pounds. And my name's not Tyro Banks. That's not a good situation <laughs> there, right? So, <laughs> you know, so yes, a lot of it did. Uh, and it was driven by a lot of insecurities. It was driven by a lot by a lot of fear at that time. And then it became a lifestyle.
0: Does that do you think all that kind of encompasses how you became the person you are today? I mean, cause I always try and look for, when I see people at, at your level or even close to it or on the way there, I see, I always try and look for the catalyst that, that got them started. If you think about early on in, in early childhood, is there one event you think that you can point to or a series of events that you can point to that made you kind of the man you are?
1: Oh, there's, there's a number of them. There is the, uh, the fear of us taping. I got windows open here right now in Florida. We would tape all the windows uh, and it was one, two, three, four tapes. So when the blast would hit, the window wouldn't go out. It would just fall and it wouldn't hurt you. Uh, so I would see my mom and dad taping up the place, you know, the alarm of Iran, tabajo, tabajo, alomate, garmez. You know, the uh, warning, warning. The sign of red means that the planes of uh, Iraq have crossed the border. So you know, prepare yourself. And we would maybe two o'clock in the morning. You're running down to stairs, and they would tell you to hide behind the stairs. Yeah, that stays. That the the vision of going across the bridge when we're going to a city called Karaj, because we were hoping they wouldn't bomb and we go over the bridge with myself in a back seat with my sister my mother my dad in a white renault uh two door and we're going and dad says don't look behind you and we look behind us a massive explosion bridges coming out like 50 yards behind us we barely make it yeah that stays the fights with mom and dad non-stop uh in iran that stays the 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 times where both sides of family play politics and they would say he's the Assyrian he likes his dad more he's more of an Assyrian he's a Bed David or no he's an Armenian he's a Bogosian, he likes his mom more and trying to see that division used by family on both sides I couldn't stand and I would tell him I would say if you ever say anything about my mom again you'll never see me again if you ever say something about my dad again you'll never see me again there's only three people that matter in my life my mom my dad my sister you guys don't matter you're secondary. So you need to know that I meet you because you're my mom's brother. You're my dad's brother. You are not my father. These are my blood and I don't want you to do that moving forward. Yeah, those things stay. When we left uh, Iran and my dad came and gave me a necklace and we go to Germany at the refugee camp and we're flying over and the last time I saw my dad, yeah, that stays there. The idea of living in Germany and my dad served the divorce paperwork when we were in Germany. Yeah, that, that kind of sticks. When I got into a big fight with an Afghani kid who was bigger than me and I got uh, cut, that, that kind of stays. So all of that stuff stays, man. You know, sometimes you sit there and you, I remember one time, I remember one time I was um, uh, on a flight back from Chicago and my my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, we were just dating. And I had a yellow pad and I started writing down the most painful and secure moments of my life no joke, five hour flight. I'm crying. And I'm like this to make sure this guy doesn't know what the hell is wrong with this guy. Okay. And I'm writing this stuff down. Most painful moments. You know, why, why do you have this rage? Why do you have this? What, where is this coming from? You know, what is it? You know, what do you got to do to kind of tone this down? And I'm kind of writing it down, writing it down. Was that your fault? Was this, your, who, who is this? Who did this? Why did they do this? What happened here? How much truth is there behind this going down? And I came down and I uh, uh, put it in my uh, uh, drawer and one day my uh, wife is going through my notes and I come home, she's crying. I'm like, what are you crying for? She says, I went through your stuff and I found this letter that you wrote. Did you just write this? Yes. She says, I cannot believe you've gone through it. She says, I don't want you. Why'd you read that? So it was kind of one of those things that we had. But look, there, there comes a time in life where you have to realize you are naked. And we're probably living at a time right now where we're more naked than ever before. Whatever insecurities you got, go to the most quirky, strange insecurities men have. You know, you're not big enough. You're not whatever enough. You're not this enough. You're not strong enough. You're not handsome enough. You don't have a good accent. Your ears, your hair, your beard, your muscles, your height, your dangling, your nose, your lips, your whatever. I have had men speak to me about the most ridiculous insecurities that no one's thinking about you, but they're thinking, you, you're thinking about yourself. Women, my butt is flat. I'm not tall enough. Oh, I'm way in the world I'm going to go to a place without high heels. I'm only 5'1". If people find out how short I am, my hands are small. My feet, when I sh- shake hands, my hands are sweaty. You know, I don't like my shoulders are too wide. As a girl, it shouldn't be like that. My legs, I don't have the nice uh, ankles or, you know, all these big ankles. So many ridiculous insecurities. God willing, you reach a point. But you realize you're naked. And if you were naked and everybody was naked and everybody knew each other's stuff, what the hell are you hiding for, man? This is you. So listen, once uh, life.
0: Shit. I lost your connection there. Are you back? Okay. I got you.
1: I'm good. Yeah. I'm so- on a landline. So I'm good here. So. One of the most freest people I've met in my life are those who are the closest to being comfortable with 100% of the things they've done in their lives, good, or bad, and ugly. And I got to a point where I felt fairly comfortable. I'm definitely not at hundred percent. I don't think I'll ever will be, but the sooner I got there, the better I was able to spread my wings and go out there and do something special in my life.
0: So you're saying even now at this point, with all your success
1: and everything you have, you're still not a hundred percent. I'm a human being. I'm still not a robot. I have feelings. I still have, you know, like I wonder when I get rejected. And I'm like, uh, uh, I had a, a, a guy came to me and was pretty disrespectful to me. And I said, wow, why are you over it five seconds later? But it bothered me for a second. And I just moved on to a conference call and I forgot about it for two days. And then I remembered it two days later that it happened two days ago. And I said, if this was 20 years ago, you, you would have gone, if this was 20 years ago, you would have reacted in a whole different way. That's a sign of growth. But there was still a five-second. Yeah. So it, it, there's not a player in the league who hits better with two seconds left on the shot clock, better than they do standing there shooting a free throw. Not a single player in the history of the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Because pressure typically shows the fact that we're a bit human. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I don't think hundred percent, but I think uh, progress is being made. Well, the reason
0: I say that is because I think people like I de- I've dealt with a lot of social anxiety and things like that. And I think people always feel, I talk about it on my show regularly and I get DMS from people about it. People always feel that they can cover their insecurities by being more successful, maybe being more handsome, maybe working out and having a better physique or whatever it may be. And I've tried to do those things, try to buy the flashy cars, try to work out, get bigger, whatever. All these things happen. It doesn't matter. You still end up with the end result, which is whatever's inside. So basically, you're saying, what is the best way to work on something like that? What, what do people do? What did you do? And what, what age were you when you finally kind of opened up and realized you are who you are and were happy to be who you were?
1: I think the best thing is just questions, man. I mean, it's, it's questions, you know, for me, when I was 23, 22, and the love of my life broke up with me. And she invited me to a Christmas party. And at the Christmas party, I saw another guy. then I'm like, what the hell is the other guy? I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> week later, she breaks up with me because she ended up with that guy. I'm like, okay, uh, uh, not a nice situation here. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I stepped away and I asked myself, would you have let your daughter marry the 22-year-old Pat? And the answer was absolutely no. So then why are you worried if somebody else is concerned about them being with you? Maybe we got some work to do, PBD. Maybe we got to go out there and do some stuff to improve ourselves to the point where you would feel comfortable your daughter one day marrying you. What do you think about that? Kind of like that. Okay, then let's put the pressure back on you. Maybe the onus is on you. Let's go improve ourselves. Let's. So, you know, a guy comes up and he says, I'm getting married. I said, really? Yes. Okay. What is marriage to you? Tell me. Oh, it's most exciting. I said, okay, who sold you this, you know, gibberish that it's the most exciting? So, do you know what marriage is? So let me explain to you what marriage is. I said, my recommendation is ask the question why you're getting married. Well, everybody I know has gotten married. That's not the reason to get married. Well, I want to have a kid. You don't have to be married to have a kid. Well, I want to, you got to get to the bottom of that question. Sometimes when you ask the question, like, why am I getting married? I don't need to get married. So for me, I got to a point where I didn't need to get married and I enjoyed my own company. And I said, you go to movies in the morning by yourself with 80 year olds and watch a matinee. And you enjoy your company. And you start a conversation with, you know, Mary sitting to your right. And she's seen you four times already and says, you're my date. (laughs) Except she's just joking. You're having a good time with Mary. That's someone's great grandma or grandma, right? So you're okay staying single. You don't have to get married. And as the thoughts got deeper, I'm like, okay. So I think we don't ask the right question too often right now. I just had a two-hour session with an artist. My brain is going a million miles an hour after spending time with this artist in Wynwood, Miami. Just this morning. That's why I I was late two minutes. So I'm in Miami. And I, no joke, I sat there and he went for two hours. One of the biggest artists, you know, the Trumps of the world, they were packaging something and sending something special to Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the Peter Thiel's there, the Musks, the Bezos, they all go through this guy. So the artist wanted to meet me and we had a sit down together. He said he went for two hours. And we went on the most ridiculous ride because the, the mind of an artist is naturally high because they're so, they see the world and I'm looking at, I see trees here, but they see a completely different thing than I see, mm-hmm. right? The creative mind sees a different thing. But if there's one thing that, you know, the most creative people I know do is they ask a ton of questions and the ones who win at the highest level who end up becoming fulfilled, they ask the right questions and half the battle with life is asking the right question because one right question can change your life. Yeah. You talk about in your book,
0: a, a switch. Like you just talked about now at 23, where you went from party Pat to a more driven Pat. I want to know what party Pat was like. Was he outrageous or was he just like, yeah, i let party a
1: little bit. Pretty bad. I was pretty bad. Like, uh, You know, uh, 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 like there was a club I would go to. I was the Greek god because they had no clue what a Syrian was. So they called me and I wasn't even your size. I was, uh, I was, uh, but I was in good shape. I had a nice physique and I was, you know, pretty in shape, shredded, a nice six pack in my, you know, shoulder, my traps, my back. Yeah. And I would dance. I was one of the dancers there. And the stuff I did on that floor there you know, it would, it would, it would, the, the club would be shut down today, but it was an underground club where it was 1500 of us that would go there. And it was, re, it was the closest thing to studio 54 and we'd have a blast. I've done a lot of stupid things when I was 18 to 23 years old, I was on a hot street for about five years. And, you know, you name it, whether it's Vegas, whether it's pimps and hoes, whether it's, you know, after hours, whether it's, I was in that scene. And I was good at it. Meaning if you went with me, I was a good running mate. You know how you got a good running mate with yeah. the guy's like, hey, that's my, do you like her? Okay, let me go talk to her. And like, listen, hey, I don't like him. You're not my type, but I got to tell you, my buddies really like you. And let me tell you what well, this guy is. He can't his tongue, but he's good. You know, you got to meet him. He's amazing. You know, rumor on the street says that I was that guy. Like I was the guy that you wanted to go party with. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, one day just got into a, a big a, a fight at Highlands club had just opened up and one of my friends, his ex is there. And I said, don't go talk to the ex. The ex shows up with another guy. He goes and talks to the ex. The ex's new boyfriend comes, they get into a fight. Next thing you know, you know, beer bottles are being thrown around just absolute stupidity. And the cops come, they got us. And I asked the cop, I said, listen, I just want you to know this. You got to let me go. He says, why? I said, I promise you will never see me here here ever again. I'm going to do something big with my life. You have to let me go. I guarantee you, you have to let me go. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm telling you, you got to let me go. I'm going to go. You will never see me in Hollywood ever again. <coughs> and I don't know why the cop let me go. I went downstairs. I got in my car, went home and I said, that's it. You guys will never see me at Highlands. Every- it's the last time I went to Highlands. It's the last time I went to Saddle Ranch or uh, uh, Dublin's or you know Miyagi's or whatever those places where they used to go to or you know, anyways, a uh, uh, key club, all that stuff. That was our space. Complete uh, shift. And then it was putting that same energy and hunt into business.
0: Okay. So I've, I've been around a lot of like, We have a similar story coming up. Yours is a little more dramatic than mine, but obviously I kept going with bodybuilding and you went a different way, but we're only three days apart. I'm, I'm born on October 15th, 78. Get, out, or, of yeah, Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Swear to God. So it's funny what you, it's funny you tell my story because my parents left Lebanon because of war and we came, I was born in Canada though. So it's a little different, but um, what I want to ask is there's a lot of people that have that, Oh, I got in a fight. I'm never going to drink again. Forget it. Or I almost got arrested. Forget it. I want to, they don't change like that. What was it that kept you going the other way? Like there had to have been something more than just the fight. You know
1: what I mean? So if you ask if you ask people who are closest to me, uh, if if I get to a point where I'm done with a relationship, I'm done with a relationship, mm. and I just I just go. If I get to a point where I say, "Nope, we're not doing this anymore," it's nope, we're not doing it anymore. If I get to a point where I say, "Yep, we're hiring five people, we're gonna hire five people and get the budget approved for it." If I say, "We're gonna fire those three people," we're gonna fire those three people, but. For me to get there takes a lot of um, data, trends, um, questions, curiosity, finding out, and then once a the decision made, is decisions made. But I also think, you know, for everybody, I mean, I was a one point GPA kid. I was not the most popular kid in high school. I was not uh, somebody that if you went to high school, like, oh, you know, they would say Patrick's the bodybuilder that walks around with, a you know, big the, the big two-gallon water. That was me. That's me. <laughs> That's PBD. I kind of, well, you know, was that guy. I didn't play sports. I didn't play baseball. I didn't play football. I didn't, I've never played organized sports. So it's not like I was the cool guy on campus. I had a 1.8 GPA in high school. So it's not like I was the nerd, the geek. I didn't do drums. I didn't do chess. I wasn't, there was nothing you can go into the yearbook. There's only one picture of me in the yearbook and it's the one that everybody else gets. So it's not like, hey, funniest guy or just didn't have any of that, any of that stuff. That came to me later on because my confidence was still being built. Army is when that happened to me. And then uh, I went and played ball. But my dad left a lot of strong values in me. When my dad made a decision to move on with somebody, listen, you did not want to hear Gabriel to say, we're done, because you can't change his mind. Mm -hmm. But, But it's a good and a bad quality, because sometimes you could have waited three more months and things could have gotten better. But for him, it's like, Nope, we're done. We're moving on. So there's some good and bad that comes with it. But part of that character was passed down by my dad. I was I Two questions kind of came from that
0: one. I think we'll start with the dad question is, is, was your dad, your hero? Cause I hear you talk about your dad a lot, but I've also heard you say negative things about your father or not negative things about your father, but the way you were brought up. So was your dad, your hero, or was it, uh, an issue for you growing up like what was the relationship with like
1: no question about it. I was six years old in school the teacher asked me what do you want to be when you grow up I said I want to be a dad and she said why I said because I want to be like my dad I've literally always loved my uh, dad now the flaws of a dad my parents got a divorce did uh, I think uh, uh, filing the divorce while we were in Germany was cool No, but I'd have access to all the information. I didn't know what was really going on. That was between them. So I judged them on that for a little bit, but still it's my dad. So I loved them. My dad, you know, when he came over here, cashier at a 99 cent store, if my dad was born here, my dad would have been a billionaire today. My dad is a very different kind of a wiring. So he gave his son the opportunity to max out his life. My dad didn't have that luxury. He's an eighth grade dropout to this you know family in iran probably people like yourself and your family you have stories like this where you know parents needed money so the son at 13 years old went and quit school and went to get a job to make money and broke in whatever language writing read is not the best right that's kind of my dad but my dad um there's no question about it if i put the number one man in my life that influenced me in the most positive way number one is here Number two is not even close. It's like Wayne Gretzky and everybody else in the hockey statistics of all time. That's <laughs> okay. that's who my dad is to uh, yeah. first and second.
0: Uh, the decision making aspect is interesting to me. Um, in business, do you find that making that final cut, that final decision, is it? Can it be harmful? Like, has has it harmed
1: you in the past? Oh, like- there, there's no question about it. But it's it's helped me more than it's harmed me because. Sometimes, let's just say I fired somebody. And in two years later, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, this could actually worked out, okay? Sometimes I fired somebody. I'm like, man, you fired a person too late, okay? Sometimes I held somebody too long. So I'm like, no, but I believe in this person. I should have fired him three years ago. Uh, sometimes I held on to somebody for a long time. I was about to fire him. I kept him I'm like, I'm glad I did because they went through this. I had one person that I, that worked for me who couldn't drop alcohol. And one day, you know, I had to go pick this person up from jail at two o'clock in the morning. And this was like this person's fourth or fifth time having an issue like this. And on the drive back, I said nothing to the person. And You guys like, how come you're not saying anything? I said, I got nothing to tell you, man. I said, at this point, he says, you've heard everything. You just got to decide what you want to do. Nobody can tell you at this point what you want to do with your life. I don't know what it is to be you right now. I just know the fact that I hope you make the right decision because a lot of people are relying on you. And I hope you will spend more time being grateful of what God's given you than spending time thinking about what you don't have because gratitude is what allows you to move on and do certain things. This guy ended up changing his life and stopped drinking alcohol, hasn't since, and life, one of my businesses wouldn't be the same without him. So you will never, look, you create certain philosophies in life. And when you create these certain philosophies in life and you go about it, it doesn't mean any one of your philosophies will be 100% bulletproof. So I used to build salespeople the same way that I was driven. And I realized catastrophic. I was not successful because not everybody's driven by the same things I'm driven. Mm-hmm. So then I said, okay, one day I took uh, 10 of my salespeople out to Buca de Bepo and I said, I want you guys to bring your wives dinners on me tonight I sat at the head and I had everybody sitting across. And I said, this is not about me, I don't want I sat there, I got a paper and pen and all I did the entire time is take notes of what the wives shared the frustrations with and pains with. I saw what fathers were going through pain. I was 26 years old at that, I'm like, wow, I didn't, that's a bad pain. that's interesting, okay daughter says to you, daddy, why can't you stay home? You've been working a lot. Ooh, okay. No wonder. Okay, cool. Babe, why are you working so hard? You haven't been making money. You keep telling me to support you with the business. It's been three months. If the husband says support my business, but you don't make money, why would a wife with two kids support a husband if you're not your job is to make? Okay, it's a good point. She said, you can't drive single people the same way as married people, the mm-hmm. same way as divorced people, the same way as women, the same way as men. I've had men that are more sensitive than women. I've had women who are, you know, it's like, wow, well, women are more sensitive. I've had women who are willing to take feedback more than men do. It's the most. Of, so there is nothing that's going to be a hundred percent, but you do have to come up with a philosophy. And when you do come up with a set of philosophies in your life, you have to try to fine tune it. But you kind of have to also stick to some of your core philosophies and values and principles in your life. And, uh, you know, yes, you're making certain progress, but eventually you're hoping this is going to work out for you more long term. And they have for me, again, nothing's going to be 100%. But if you get it to a point where you're pretty confident about it, even if that 20% of the decisions you make, that's not right, it's your percentage at 80%. Somebody else, maybe 42%. You're not trying to get 100% of your decisions to be right. It's like free throw. You want to get right. to 71%, 78%. So that's how I look at decisions that I make in my life. So I'm very comfortable with some of them not going my way.
0: You talk a lot about um, your GPA and you talk a lot about partying and all that. And we talked about you making the decision to change. What I want to know is, did business find you or did you find business? Because in bodybuilding, for example, I went to the gym and I, it kind of was an accident that it like I feel like bodybuilding found me it wasn't like it was something i wanted to do so is is business something you said this is what i want to do i want to go into these sales i want to take care take this this route in life or did it did you do it and end up being good at it and then it fueled you to go further
1: yeah that's a great question so i would say my my dreams found got me to go into sales and business okay so for example so i'm in i'm in uh germany at a refugee camp um And there's this girl named Katarina Staff, who her brother and I become friends and her brother wanted the new Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario 2 that was coming out with Super Nintendo. And it was a yellow cover. I don't know if you remember the yellow cover. And so I said, okay, I like your sister. Well, he likes video games. I said, how about if I get you a video game? So my dream was to spend a ton of time with his sister, Katarina. Mm. So because I wanted to get with Katarina, I had to figure out a way to buy the Super Nintendo. My mom didn't have money. My dad wasn't there. It was 249 marks. So I said, okay. So the local swimming pool, they would drink a lot, but the beer bottles would stay there for weeks and it would stank up the place. So I went up to the owner and I said, listen, what if I collect all these beer bottles? How much will you give me? He says, I'll give you five fennig per. I said, okay, that's 5,000 beer bottles I need to collect. No problem. I'll go ahead and do it. So I did the math how many times I'm at the pool. It took me a month. I got the five beer bottles. I brought it to the guy. Eventually, I ended up having 249 uh, marks. I went to Kaufhof. I bought the Super Nintendo. I brought it back. I The entire refugee camp was so excited because somebody had Super Nintendo. And now we were playing it, and I would go in the basement with Katarina stuff <laughs> because that was my dream. That was your end. Yeah, that was your That end. was my dream, believe it or not. Yeah. So every, when you're asking this, so I became an entrepreneur simply because I had to get what I wanted, which was Katarina. It was not because of video game. It's because I wanted her. And later on in life, like financial services found me. I didn't find financial services. So the way you're putting it, it's actually very interesting. I didn't find financial services. Financial services found me. Bodybuilding, I went to YMCA in Glendale, right across the street from the welfare office and Rafi's place. And when I went to YMCA, it was for basketball. And then I went to the third floor, had no idea what third floor was. It was the gym. There's a guy named Fred Morad, freaking men of a guy, just a sweetheart of a guy and not Fred Morat. Fred, uh, his name was Fred. I don't remember his last name, but his name was Fred. And he asked me and directed me with a few things with weights. And then I did one and I said, what if I can do more? What if I can do more? What if I can do more? And I saw Fred's biceps. I said, I wouldn't mind having big biceps. How big are you about 16 inches? I'm like, damn, that's massive, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. What if I can get that kind of a peak? So then, so I think there's a part of it where the dream got me to do certain careers, and then I fell in love with the career that I took. Financial services—it was a dream. I'm sick and tired of being broke. Hey, I work for Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. How well is this? It's actually a high-paying job. I'm a numbers guy. I like numbers. This is what I'm going to do. I've been in and out for 20 years. So. Yeah, you make a very good point. So some of it uh, recruited me, but most of it was purely based on what tool is going to help my dreams become a reality.
0: Your story about Katarina, is that how simple entrepreneurship
1: is? It really is, though. Is that, is that how simple it is? I'm, I'm being dead serious with you. Like if, I, if like I sit with somebody and somebody will say, you know, I really want to retire my mom. I said, do you really? Yes. Come on, John. I'm telling you, I really want to retire my mom. I said, how much, how important is that? To you? It's a 10. I said, it's not possible. How, how dare you question my dreams for my mom? I said, dude, it's not possible. I'm not telling you it's not important for you, but it's not possible for you to want your mom's dreams, to, your, your mom to retire for that to be your number one dream. How could you say such a thing? You want me to tell you how I could say such a thing? Yes. If it was a 10, for the last month, you've been at the office every day at 11 o'clock and you leave at three o'clock and you got nothing to do, nothing to do. I guarantee if it was a 10, you would have been here at 7 o'clock. You would have left at 10 o'clock. It's not a 10. It's, if it happens, you'd be very happy. You got to go find a better dream because that's not it. Then the guy would come back and say, so then I would search. I'm like, so tell me, how's your relationship with your dad? How's your relationship with your ex? Screw her. Why? Why, well, you know, whatever. She left me for this. Okay, got it. Okay. Hey, uh, uh, what's her boyfriend do? The guy that she left you for. He does this. Really? To make good money? Yeah, but who cares about money? Who cares about money? Yeah, got it. So now I have some kind of motivation there to be able to poke this guy. Hey, what do we want to do with this? So then the ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend became the reason why he went and made a million and he forgot about him. Then his mom retired. such a weird dynamic. So it's not that the mom thing is not important. Look, how many parents love their kids? How
0: many parents, uh, every, every parent. Uh, or, uh, yeah. Every parent.
1: How come every parent who says they'll do anything for their kids, they don't do everything for their kids. How come if every parent loves their kids as much as they do, how come many parents, instead of driving, going on a five-year run they'd much rather come home, have a beer, watch a football game, And do that five days a week, watch a basketball game next day, baseball game next day, not pick up a book, not take an after-hours course, not learn Spanish to increase your value in the marketplace. Does that mean that parent doesn't love their kids? Of course not. The parent loves their kids. But the parent's motivation is not to make sure that kid can go get a $300 an hour coach of a guy that used to play in the MLB to spend three hours a week with the son to help him get to the next level. No, the dad doesn't think of that as highest value. So the dad or the mom needs to be finding out what their biggest motivation is to move them, and indirectly, they'll be able to hire that $300 an hour MLB coach to spend private time with the kid to become a better pitcher. He gets picked up by Pepperdine University and then gets drafted by the Kansas City Royals and now they get to go and watch their son's dreams become a reality. But the motivation of the mom and dad was the fact that both in-laws never paid any money to the wedding and never helped out with anything financially and they didn't want to babysit the kids and they wanted to prove to their parents that with or without you, we're going to make our dreams become a reality. So I don't know if this makes sense. Yeah. Like you got to get to the bottom of what moves you. And it's different for everybody. Well, the way it makes sense to me is Basically, you're saying people aren't
0: honest with themselves about their priorities. So, if like somebody says to me, "Well, I want to be a pro bodybuilder, but they don't want to put the time in to get all the meals in and get the training in," this is all these along the same lines of what you're saying. How? But the the difference I think that you're what you're doing between what other people do is, I think people look from A to B, and it's almost like you look from A to F. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like. Yeah you're you're putting a piece of a puzzle together in a number of different ways where most people will just say well my son's not playing in the MLB because he didn't try hard enough and they won't ever say all of the other steps that came before that they they could have helped him with does that make sense
1: tremendously have you seen Tiger's documentary no I haven't oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's something I got to
0: watch. Apparently, yeah. I mean, listen.
1: Yeah, uh, three weeks ago on a Sunday night, I made the mistake of saying I'm going to watch 30 minutes of it at 10 o'clock. Mm. Three and a half hours later, it's 1:30. I'm finished the documentary. I couldn't stop watching. It's two parts. It's insane. Yeah. And when you watch the documentary, you know what you'll say. You'll say, "The question you'd want to I'd, I'd want you to ask, is the following: What percentage of Tiger's successes is his mom and dad, and what percentage is him?" How does a kid at two years old swing the ball as good as he does? Was he born that way? No. His that spend a ton of time with him? His dad got him to like the game of golf? Who gets the credit for that? But we know Tiger. Most people don't know Tiger's father's name. I know Tiger's father's name, but most people don't know Tiger's father's name because maybe if you haven't watched a documentary, like I, I don't know whether his father, I'm, I'm sure his name is Mr. Woods, but I don't know the guy's first name. Well, the reality of it is, we play a very big role in providing the right resources for these kids to go out there and like what resources did my parents provide me? The biggest one. What is it? They brought me to America. What if they would have stayed in Iran? You you and I are probably not talking right now to each other. What would have happened if we stayed in Iran? Mm-hmm. I don't have my three kids. I don't have one on the way. Would I be in Boca? No, I would be in Tehran. What, what would I be doing? Would I be in, so not putting 100% the onus on parents, but I do believe parents, the the benefit kids get from parents identifying their dreams is they get the best of their parents that creates a standard for the kids to want to replicate. Because in parenting, there's more caught than taught. You can teach 17 keys to being a great man, but your son is going to do the 17 things that he caught you doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not you taught him to do it's the cut more than taught. so
0: yeah um you talk about the period in your life where your work ethic was extremely high not watching tv not listening to music working 80 hours a week it's kind of counterintuitive to the question i want to ask but i just need to know have you ever been an 80 percenter and i'm not talking about before like party pad i'm talking about after you decided and made the cut to to change your life have you ever been an 80 percenter
1: never I never. can't lie to you. I can't be like, let me make the audience feel better by saying yes. No, no, it's okay. I don't want you to. I just, just yeah. cur- I'm just curious. Never. I, I never, because um, no. And by the way, you, uh, the, the, the better person to ask that question of would be my wife, would be mm-hmm. a Mario, would be my dad, would be my friends, would be my coworkers, would be my people that are around me. I just haven't been, because to me, you know, I talk about the four things, right, in the book. Outwork, out-improve, out-strategize, right? Okay, outwork. Anybody can outwork anybody for a month. Anybody can outwork anybody for a year. Out, out-improve. Okay, you may read 40 books this year. I may read 20 books this year. But you read 40 books for three years in a row, but I read 20 books for 20 years. You can't compete with me because I'm out-improvement. You may take, you may go to one bodybuilding clinic and you're going to watch how Ronnie trains, but then you may go and watch certain old tapes of Lee Haney, how he did back. You may go watch some Frank Zane on how he did his abs. You you may go watch Ed Corney on how he did his posing. Okay. And then there's somebody else that makes it a science and watches it 50 times. Okay over and over and over and over, and does it in front of a mirror and is looking at it corny. And okay, woman, well, no, no, he goes his hands like this. When he turns, he goes like this. Oh my God, okay, let me see, that looks better. No, no, stand up like this, okay. Maybe stand like Frank Zane when he does the. Like there's somebody that's maniacal about this stuff. Okay, so level of improving. I'm willing to improve better than you or longer than you. Next one is what, strategize, okay? All right, your bodybuilding. Ronnie Coleman says things changed when he met who? Flex Wheeler. Mm-hmm. Flex Wheeler gave him access to Chad Nichols. Chad Nichols, I think it was Chad Nichols. Chad Nichols yep. gave him strategies and then boom. Chad goes, and uh, Ronnie goes, Oh, wow, well, I didn't know about this stuff. Yeah. This is the timing of it. Yeah. This is um, this one. You get off? Yeah. Freaking sick. Okay, great. Yep. I didn't know about this. And boom. Now, now you're picking up strategies, right? Bodybuilding, business, game, whatever, man. But I'm telling you, the last one is the scariest one. That is the most intimidating one. I'm never afraid of a person who works hard for a day or a month or a year. Never afraid of a guy how many, how much books they read. The one that you ought to be most intimidated by is a guy that doesn't stop. Because that's annoying. Because almost every competitor is hoping the opponent eventually gets casual, no longer trains, no longer reads, no longer improves no longer recreates themselves. You're about to catch him up. But the opponent that is constantly like, the hell is wrong with this guy? Every time I see him, his mind is like, every time I see this guy, he's like, did you see what happened? Remember how we used to make fun of his caps? Look at what his caps look like. That's great. what did he do? You know, like Phil and I were talking when he was at Mr. Olympia, he called me. He says, I gotta tell you, when I walked in, I knew that Rami showed up to play. Mm -hmm. He says, it was in the back. I saw Rami, I'm like, okay. He's not the same, Rami. Phil mm-hmm. said this one. Him and I were speaking, and you know, Rami showed up. Okay, Oh, See that? Not Now, Rami is a one-time. Phil is a seven-time. Phil kept showing up, and people were like, "Oh, look at this one-time, Phil." You know, only two guys have won more than him, right? What is it? Ron, uh, Ronnie's one eight. Haney's won eight. Uh, yeah. Arnold's one seven, right? If I'm saying it correctly. Yeah. So there is the community of people who win back to back to back to back to back to back. That's the outlasting community very intimidating very because that's the outlasting part so yeah i mean you look in any game you're talking about when you ask me pat are you in the 80% i'm in the outlasting community so you're that's- in the you're in
0: the 100% so you're not 80% for 20 years you're 100% for 20 years you're all in every day
1: year after year if, if you could, if you could see the schedule a part of it would be like it's almost better you don't see the schedule. If you would see my schedule, I'm being serious with you because some of it has to be like a dream. Some of it has to be like a possibility. But to me, I uh, have certain uh, aspirations and things I want to do in my life. I made a promise to my dad that his last name is going to be remembered. And I'm going to make that last name, you know, I'm going to make him proud. And I got a lot of work to do to get there. So my vision is not a hey, look at my car, look at my house, look at the clothes, look at the jewelry, look at the baseball cards, look at this. No, it's a lot bigger than that. And uh, I, I, I feel like at a 42 right now, I think we're barely getting to a point where the processing is at a place that I feel uh, more confident about. So, yeah, it's the outlasting game. So, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy that's a, don't now, let me flip it for you. I have fun. I travel. I have to make sure on my Sundays – Sundays to me is the greatest day of the week for me, for my family. It's about the kids. It's about the family. It's about us going out there, spending time together. You know, it's all family. I go quarterly. I take my family places. Obviously, my wife's pregnant right now, so it's a little bit tougher. We're seven weeks away, but we'll go places. I travel. I go do certain things that I have fun with, but for everything else, I'm going. How do you teach the 80 80- there's
0: people who don't do anything, so I feel like those people are the hardest to teach. How do you teach the guy who almost gets there but can't necessarily get over the top? How do you teach him to 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 take that extra step from being eighty percent to being like you?
1: You know, let me let me just show it to you, man. That's the best way for me to do is to just show this to you. So, uh, hang on one second. If I show this, this will make all the sense in the world can I share the screen on my end or no I, if I can I'm not sure if you can on your end okay let me see I am going to see if I can share it or not and I'll show it to you if I can let me go here okay okay host has not allowed me to share okay so I uh, can't share at this point I think i gotta let me share because if, we'll, if you show it to me this one slide alone is going to explain it all uh, to your audience I think I just made you a host all right so let me see if I can do it now host disabled participant sharing I can share it now. Perfect. So you see this chart here? You see this yeah. chart? Okay. So this chart explains everything you just said. Okay. In life, we have the 80 percenters. Yeah. We have the 20 percenters. We have the 10 percenters. We have the 1 percenters. Okay. Those are the numbers. Mm-hmm. 20% of America makes six figures. 10% makes around a quarter. 1% makes around a half a million to a million a year. Okay. Those are the numbers on what we got. Okay. So look at the colors. We got the green is the 80%. We got the yellow is the 20%. We got the orange, that's the 10%. And we got the dark red, that's the 1%. Okay. So the dark red, their time off or off season is still an eight. But they're <laughs> when, when they're in the hunt, they're a nine and a half. I see. But when they have a drop off, they only go to an eight. And then they go back to a 94 and then they go to a nine, nine three, yeah, eight one. You see the idea? Of what happens here, right? That's and they stay there longer. They're 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 vibrating at an eight or a higher yeah. for long periods of time. Their break is an eight. Now let's go to the ten percenters. You got their high as a nine and a half. They will go and be able to compete with the top one percent for hard work for a week, a month, a season. Mm-hmm. But when they have their season off and it's off season, they go all the way down to six. They'll drop oh, off. Yeah, yeah. But a difference becomes here. This is when you win or lose, not here. The 20% is willing to work just as hard as everybody for a day, for a week, a month. But when a crisis takes place, when a tragedy takes place, when a shutdown takes place, they go all the way down to a four. And the 80% community you're talking about, yeah. they'll go all the way to an eight and a half. But when they have a bad season, they go all the way down to a one and they're a mess. So, you know, when you when you gauge that, the individual doesn't win. You and I, you don't beat me on your best day versus my best day because your best day versus my best day is probably the same. Yeah. You beat me on your bottom 100 worst days versus my bottom 100 worst days. That's when the game is won or lost. That's
0: extremely interesting. I never even looked at it that way. Everybody goes hard when they're supposed to go hard, but when they're, you're right. The time off is the is the time that makes a difference. So basically, the guys who are the greatest at things are the guys that don't really take time off. And if they do, it's just a it's still a a workable time off. It's not like a completely relaxed
1: to, to them, it's a time off. To another person could be, dude, when are you taking a break? I was like, I am taking a break. That's <laughs> yeah. not a break. You know what I'm saying? So but, but you gotta also realize yeah. in your world, in the bodybuilding world, I don't want the community to take this as, well, listen, my muscle needs a break. And you know, the muscle grows the most when you're taking a break. Yes. I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but it may be that during the off season, maybe somebody's not doing cardio or maybe during the off season, you know, you're not feeding yourself certain things to learn. Maybe you're not going and training with somebody else to see how they train in UK versus how they train in Venice beach versus how they train in, you know, Dallas versus how they train that that's the bottom part. It doesn't necessarily mean in the bodybuilding world, that a break is a bad thing we know professional athletes like yourselves you guys do need that break when you're competing you get on that stage your break is needed but this is just a different mentality
0: yeah no i meant it i meant it more in a sense of just work ethic in general that i think that's the difference between people but you said something that was very interesting to me in one of your seminars you said the scariest person is an ambitious person who's lazy can you describe that can you can you explain that to me a little bit further
1: Because, um, so, look, you got the small business owner versus the regulator. You got the entrepreneur versus the politician, okay? What is the difference between a politician and an entrepreneur? They're both ambitious, okay? But the entrepreneur, if the entrepreneur doesn't go out there and figure out a way to get a customer, he's going to have to shut his business down. The politician can go out there and... Not work for whoever it is they're working for, and they can still get elected and elected and elected and elected and elected, right? Not saying everybody's like that. There's great statesmen that do a great job to protect their country, whatever the country may be, but they are extremely ambitious. Mm -hmm. They could also make it in business, but it's too much work. This is way too much work, right? Yeah. What are the business people driven by? Freedom. They want to make money, left alone. Let me go make my money and Hey, if I want to buy a bigger house, let me buy. If I want to go out there and buy a couple other businesses and lead it, let me do it. If I screw up, great. I go out of business and lose everything. But on this side, you don't lose everything here. I lose everything. I got bankruptcy. I got 10 years of bad credit. I got anxiety, panic attacks, people, creditors, employees that are not happy with me, all this other stuff. So in life, as you're coming up and if you win at the highest levels, you're going to win at the highest level means you're going to beat other people. When you beat other people and you rub it in their face, you're giving birth to more ambitious, lazy people who will eventually get their revenge on you. Now, some will, some want. a revenge will maybe a bad review. A revenge may be, you know, um, spreading rumors, defamation of character. A revenge may be uh, uh, writing a bad review on your product that you have on whatever on Udemy or on Amazon or whatever, that bad comment, creating a fake profile and writing negative comments on your YouTube video. And you don't know who this person is, but it's somebody that you gave birth to, to be an enemy. So as you go up, you have to learn the ability to let go of people gently. You have to find ways to end relationship in the most gentle way possible. You have to find ways to realize that somebody, somebody may be in the world of business with you today, but it may not work out. And it may be on them. They screwed up. Still have to figure out a way to move on where you're not, you know, even if it was ugly, there's situations where even if things are ugly and you're like, you screwed up, you did this, you did that. Yes. But look, I've had dinner with you and your wife. I know your kids, your great father, your great mother. I wish you guys nothing but the best. This obviously didn't work out because we couldn't make it work. But at the end of the day, I want to see your family's dreams become a reality. That that additional comment, that additional 10-minute call, five-minute call, you know, Conor McGregor said it best. He says, I'm cocky with my predictions. I'm confident in my preparation, but I'm humble in victory or loss. He said that in an interview after he lost to Nick Diaz. Mm And Nate Diaz. Was Nate Nate Diaz, I think he lost to Nate, yeah. Yeah, Nate, and nobody expected Nate to beat him, right? Mm-hmm, Connor mm-hmm. was destroyed, and he's doing the interview with, uh, who's the main guy, the ball guy that does the interviews. he's Roque. very good. Roque. Wasn't it not, Roque? Not, No, no, the, the Middle Eastern guy. Um, oh, Ariel. Hawani. Ariel, yeah, 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 and he's doing the interview and he's like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. You know, I'm, I'm cocky with my predictions. I'm confident in my preparation, but I'm humble on my victory or loss, and I got to tip my hat off to him. He won and, and I respect him. I was a little bit too confident and I got some work to do. I got to go back. So, you know, that, that's the part where when you're winning, you got to figure out a way to not give too much birth to others because those lazy, ambitious people, they're not going to beat you in your business, but forever they will be a pest to you. And if you can, you can never eliminate all of them. Mm-hmm. There are always going to be some out there. Mm-hmm. But instead of having 50, if you got seven, it's better to have seven than to have 50. Of them. Yeah.
0: Pat, I know you said you had about an hour. Do you mind if I ask you a couple more questions before we
1: wrap up? So the only, uh, I will go with you for 10 more minutes till 3.15. I got my food sitting here that I haven't eaten. It's the only thing. <laughs> so let's go 10 more minutes and we'll wrap up.
0: Okay. I feel horrible. I just got a couple important ones that I want to ask you, which is, go for it. I feel like a lot of people use, a lot of people nowadays view negativity as it, it cripples them like it may people are kind of a little bit more fragile and i feel like throughout my bodybuilding career my friends my group of friends as i was coming up i kind of use negativity to fuel me to get to where i am when i listen to you speak i feel like you do the same thing you use all of those challenges all of the people who told you no all of the people who ridiculed you or uh, used your insecurities against you you use those people as fuel is that something that people are missing nowadays
1: yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity. I think, uh, you know, uh, one time I did an exercise with a uh, uh, hundred of my sales guys. I said, I want you to do the following exercise. And I said, I don't want you to share it with us. If you want to, you can. You don't have to. This is an XR private. So go and sit kind of by yourself. And everybody did. I said, I want you to write down the most painful words, comments that anyone's ever made to you. Okay. Like uh, your mother saying, I regret having you, for example, like things like that. I'm yeah, not yeah. saying. It yeah, yeah. It. Yeah. So I kind of went through it. I'm like, okay, what's yours? Anybody want to share this? One guy got up, shared this. I'm like, powerful. What's yours? Okay. How does it make you feel when you think about it? You know, just, you know, really does a number. Them. Okay. How about yourself? How about yourself? How about yourself? Okay. And I said, how often do you guys tap into that? Not, not often enough. So said, okay. Look, people are driven by four different things. One is advancement. People want to advance in life, right? The other one is uh, 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 like individual. I want to have a nice car. I want to have a nice clothes. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's this thing about you. You shouldn't be driven by a Ferrari. I don't care if you're driven by a Ferrari. For dr- Ferrari helps you make a half a million year and you take care of your wife and two kids and they go to a good private school. You ought to let that Ferrari drive you. Don't let a social media influencer confuse you. Would yeah. you shouldn't be driven by a Ferrari. So, but some people are not driven by Ferrari. Nothing wrong with us. You got advancement. you got individual lifestyle. You got madness, which is what did you say? Okay. No problem. Okay. No. And then you got purpose. What if one day we can be written about in history books? What if one day, right? Everyone is driven by a little bit of that. Right. But you, everybody is driven by one more than the rest. Everybody is so If somebody's not driven by madness, those comments mean nothing to them. I see. You know what I'm saying? So, But if I find somebody who's driven by madness and I say, so what do you want to do about that? I'm going to go prove them wrong. Okay, then let's go. And then I'll play a video of Michael Jordan when they went up. And, you know, the part where it says, George Kroll comes to the restaurant. Ahmad Rashad and him are having dinner together. And he goes and sits back there. And he comes by. We're a playoff game. You don't even say hi to me. You and I go back to the Olympics. You and I go back to Carolina. You don't say anything to me. You don't acknowledge me. I'm supposed to kill this guy. This is Michael Jordan saying the last dance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but is Steve Nash like Michael Jordan? I don't know. Yeah, No, it doesn't seem like So what I'm trying to say is, you know, I've interviewed Wayne Gretzky. When I asked Wayne Gretzky, how competitive are you? I think I'm a little competitive. So, you know, was it about becoming the greatest of all time? No, not really. I just really enjoyed the game and I wanted to find out what my best looks like. But you got to tell me, you wanted to really crush the other guys. No, I really didn't. That was more Marty McSorley. I kind of just wanted to play the game I enjoyed. Come on, Wayne. Yeah. So that's a different wiring versus Tiger versus. So so part of it is if it fuels you to produce, like, you know, some people drink you know and they go oh my gosh you go you go drink with some of your buddies and they're like oh fights breaking out at a bar right yeah listen alcohol is not dude you ain't drinking just no drinking for you you know but somebody drinks and they're more mellow with you like hey what's up you guys good everything good what's up and you're like you know what maybe it's cool when this guy has a drink or two because it's easier to deal with them you're so high so there is no one formula that fits to everybody but for me when I see some of that stuff, when I was coming up, a lot of them drove me. Do those things drive me today like they drove me at 31 years old? They don't. Not anymore, so right? No, they just don't. So nowadays, one guy called me and says, I apologize. I did this. I did that. And I said, I don't think you realize you don't bother me anymore. Hmm. You bothered me seven years ago. You don't bother me anymore. like I don't even yeah. think about that. But I wish you nothing but the best. So but for a season, if it does, why not use it?
0: uh okay last question we'll wrap up with this just because i feel i feel bad now you haven't eaten lunch but you brought up the last dance and michael jordan used to create enemies to get that madness do you find that you do that at all because you know it might be one of your driving forces i i do
1: that i probably shouldn't do it but i do do that and I kind (laughs) of figured it's it's a uh, you know it's it's so funny when I watched a documentary it was like I was so enamored by by watching a documentary no you know sometimes I do and uh, it's almost like you know when you say something you're like oh shit I just casted that vision Mm. and you know how you are you're like if I say it I have to do it you're like oh oh my gosh why did I say that (laughs) so I kind of like that kind of pressure. Yeah, I like the pressure to say, "Hey, Pat, you don't like it when you say something and you don't do it. Well, let's go out there and say it." So whether it's poking the bear and all this other stuff, you, you have you have to make sure. I I don't know if, you know, it, 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 the other thing with Michael was also if you think about Michael, Michael didn't talk trash to Kobe. Yeah, no, I know. So so Michael was also very. Um, whoever he talked trash to, he knew he could destroy you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he, for whatever reason, he always respected Kobe because he knew. Yeah. This guy is that, you know, he he wants it as bad as me, if not more than I do. Mm-hmm. So he had a little bit of a, don't get me wrong. Yes. All-star game. He's talking trash to Kevin Garnett about, you know, Kobe and that scene with Tim Hardaway. All those guys are saying, yes, I'm not saying that's not qualified as trash talking but he wasn't as aggressive with them as he was with, you know, others. Yeah. But yes, a little bit of that madness does take place.
0: Uh, Pat, I will, I have a ton of questions here. Uh, there's so much I want to ask you, but I know you're a busy man. So I'm going to let you go. I hope you enjoy your lunch. I love your show. I will continue to watch. And um, if we get a chance again, another time, if you have an hour here or there, I'd love to have
1: you on again. I, I'm open to doing another follow-up. Today's a crazy day, but we can definitely get back on and do a sec- uh, second part of part two of this that's great, man. I appreciate it so much. And thank you for the time. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. You got it, buddy. Bye-bye.